Welcome to Force Points to the Point Cybersecurity Podcast. Each week, join Eric Trexler and Erica Pierce to explore the latest in government cybersecurity news and trending topics. Always covered in 15 minutes or less. Now, let's get to the point. Hi, and welcome to episode 13 of To The Point Cybersecurity. I'm your host, Erica Pierce, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Eric Trexler. How you doing, Eric? Good morning, Eric. I'm doing well. I was listening to a podcast this weekend, our podcast, of course. Of course. My my son mentioned, my 11-year-old son said, Dad, you know, this sounds really interesting, but it's not very interesting to me. Okay, well, maybe if he wants to be a guest and talk about 11 year old, what an 11 year old, um, how they feel about cybersecurity, that's always a possibility. So if you can, you know, if you have some connections and can arrange that. (laughs) Not sure that would be very interesting, but we'll see. Anyway, (laughs) good morning to you. Good morning. Well, we do have. Good morning, uh, Michael. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes. Hi, Michael. <laughs> we'll ho- hopefully make this one in- more interesting to uh, to Michael. So um, this week we do have a um, or I think is who I think is an interesting guest. Um, we have Nico, who is the owner um, of the of X Labs, which is the innovation component of ForcePoint. And he's also ForcePoint's global CF- CTO, apologize, um, and coming to us from New Zealand. Correct. Am I right about that, Nico? Oh, yeah, roughly, yeah. New okay. Zealand and, Swiss, and Switzerland, it's very close. Like, you know, it's, it's a neighboring country. Good, good. No, well, no, I'm actually, I'm actually based in Zurich in Switzerland. Oh, okay, got you, got you. Sorry about that. And you're that. in Zurich today, Nico? I am. I yeah, am. you travel all the time. Yeah, no. I have one more traveler coming up this week, and that's about it. You know, unless you sales guy, you know, get me to see more customers and close deals. I think we had a reporting with you and Santa Claus in New Zealand, which is why we went there. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, gotcha. (laughs) Nice one. (laughs) Well, so, Nico, we want to talk to you today about um, really innovation and cybersecurity. And especially, you know, since that's what you're focused on um, with X Labs. My first question to you is, how do you decide which ideas have merit, which ideas to to bring to merit? Um, You know, and where are you seeing an innovation in terms of um, where you decide it's worth the investment? Yeah, no, actually, we have have two groups inside ForcePoint. And, uh, you know, I think everybody in the mix of the two because they told uh, both of them are called labs. You know, we we have innovation labs. Uh, Innovation labs is where we do time box prototyping, you know, where we want to kind of, you know, fail fast, fail cheap and de-risk business investments. You know, that's what I want to talk about. The other piece you you mentioned is X-Labs. X-Labs, that's the home of, you know, security research, uh, data science, machine learning, um, everything that drives security efficacy in our products. So actually, we've got two labs uh, with two different uh, roles. You know, even so they work with each other, I think today we're going to touch on both. Okay. Honestly, what we look at is, you know, where does it make sense to invest, strategically speaking? You know, a lot of people come up with a lot of ideas, you know, so we, have, we got the, uh, the exec team voting for the ideas, and then we do prototyping for usually two to three months. And then depending on the outcome of the prototypes, which can be a technology prototype, a business prototype, some evaluations, some proof of concept, you know, we decide to either put it on the shelf, put it in the bin, or actually pass it to the product team for implementation. So that's what, you know, this group, do, group does. And where do the ideas come from? Uh, they come from customer, partners, employees, our own scouting, you know, different sources. So I think, you know, this year, 2018, we had something close to like 500 ideas generated. Wow. 
And that's a lot, yeah. So and usually you can say like, you know, w- one in 10 also makes it to a prototype. And, you know, and then uh, again, you know, each for each prototype, you know, one out of 10 usually makes it into a product. So you look at, you know, a very big pipeline, you know, that, you know, uh, gets down-selected to like a tenth of the pipeline. And then usually the outcome is, you know, one product or one major feature. And how do they, you know, being a large company, does that change the way you perceive the the benefit from the ideas or which ideas you pursue? Yeah, we have to be uh, at, at the same time, you know, very selective because you, you can get easily distracted because of the number of products we, we have. Um, you know, what we want to make sure is that, you know, whatever we decide to investigate, look into is something that helps us advance you know, the, the key areas for us, you know, in our case, you know, the human centric cybersecurity, you know, how can we advance the research on, you know, human behavior and intent? How can we advance the, the research on, you know, hybrid IT environments? We, we try to keep it, you know, close adjacent to the, uh, the core strategic initiatives we have internally at Forcepoint. And, and so, Nico, can you share with us anything that um, in terms of innovation that you've seen? Uh, so I actually I binge watched Black Mirror this weekend on Netflix, <laughs> which I don't know if either <laughs> one of you have seen that. But when I'm watching it, I'm always like, wow, this is what the future is going to look like as far as, you know, things like AI. And so just wondering, I mean, are there any really interesting um, things that you're seeing specifically in cybersecurity um, in terms of what that looks like in the future? Like, you know, will we have a chip? in our head that will then send something, <laughs> you know, to, uh, you know, some uh, some IT person so they can see what we're thinking and if we're going to try to do a hack before we do the hack or something like that. Well, it, it's, it's kind of funny. I don't think, you know, anyone wants a chip in your body to do that. You know, I think, you know, Black Mirror and, you know, everything they do there is, you know, Hopefully, you know, Black Mirror is not going to be the, uh, the next, you know, 1984. But, you know, if, if you look at what we're doing at Forcepoint in terms of, you know, researching human behavior and deriving, you know, behavior sentiments to see what people might want to do with company data, you know, it's it's kind of very close. But it's not the, uh, not the creepy side of, of Black Mirror, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, you look at what's happening and, you know, the social scoring in China and, you know, what's happened with some of the uh, the big scandals lately, like, you know, Facebook and Cambridge, we don't want to go there. You know, the, uh, you, you need to make sure the creepy factor doesn't enter the uh, the company sphere or the private sphere of employees. And how do you do that while while guaranteeing ease of use and, and capability and all the benefits that consumers the, the, Yeah, I mean, there's, there's many techniques that relate to the, you know, the privacy domain, you know, tokenization, pseudonymization, you know, group privacy. There's many techniques that enable you to do that. So, you know, easy to secure the data and make sure the, the privacy is maintained, but also to audit, you know, who's accessed the data and actually you know, make sure, you know, records are protected. And if something happens, you know, only the right people can unlock it. Or if somebody does it, you can actually track it. So there's, I mean, the, uh, there's been a lot of changes in terms of technology and, and progress in that space, but it is key. I think pr- privacy is very central mm-hmm. to any cybersecurity technology right now. So we're a government podcast where we're focused a lot on the mm-hmm. government. Who do you trust more, the government or private industry with that type of information? I mean, this, this question comes up, you know, quite often, you know, and honestly, I, I don't think there's an answer. 
you know, it really depends on your government. You know, I don't think there's one government for sure. Um, you know, some company, uh, I think in the private space is the same. You know, you look at some companies, they, they take a privacy first stance. You know, look at, for, things, for example, what Apple is doing, you know, in terms of privacy first, as you know, other plays in the space. I don't think there's one answer. You know, pe- people will get breached. You know, some people will abuse the data you give them, you, you entrust them. Uh, I don't think there's a real answer to that one. You know, this, this is a recurring question of the last 10 years. And and where do you see the um, the industry going? I mean, what do you think? What's what's next? Well, there's I, I think there's a lot of I mean, there's a lot of things, right? I mean, that's a very big question. I was going to say that. I know, easy question. It's an easy one. You know, you, you can you can really go really, really broad, right? I think you know the the biggest problem is that you know cybersecurity is was and will continue to be very asymmetric. So, you know, where do you invest, you know, and how do you make sure as a, as a CISO, for example, you know, that, you know, this ongoing game, because actually it's, it's some sort of a game, you, you're never going to lose it, right? So uh, it's it's tough, right? And not just things Wait, that you're never going to lose or you're never going to win? Oh, I mean, you know, actually not losing is actually winning. You know, you, you're buying time. You know, that's the thing. It, it's, it's one of those games where, you know, you know, every move, you know, could actually make you, oh, the lack of making move can, can make you lose, right? So it's, uh, I don't think it's a game you can ever win. So if you are in the customer shoes, what's the one thing you would do differently than what they do today to not lose, as you put it? I, I think, you know, the big, the big change is... Um, you have to look at it from a risk management point of view. You know, I used to work for a telco for, for nearly 15 years, and, you know, a service provider environment is very flat, very open. You're actually here to provide connectivity. You know, you don't induce, you know, security friction. So I think a lot of the decisions you have to make, you know, as a CISO are, you know, driven by risk management and, you know, making sure you deliver uh, a frictionless service to your employees while maintaining security, right? And that's, that's a, you know, a big, big change. You know, I used to say in some presentations that there are, yeah, there are the, uh, the old school CISOs, you know, very black and white, very ivory tower, very firewall-like, you know, block and denying. Quite often the answer is rather no than yes. You know, I think that's changed a lot. And you see the CISOs becoming business partners and business enablers. I think that's the big thing I would recommend to, uh, to any customer. Yeah, we actually talked about that um, just last week in terms of we were, um, Eric and I were talking about an article that was um, written by um, Brian Krebs, and he was talking about how the type of organization was, is um, sort of shifting the paradigm in terms of how the, you know, the CISO was involved in the organization as opposed to it being off to the side and now being someone who's reporting straight up to the, you know, the executive office or in government up to the secretary and, you know, involved in everything from, you know, from day one, cybersecurity, not sort of being in the silo that it once was in. Exactly. I mean, that's exactly what, you know, companies have to do, you know, move away from the silo approach, but also move away from the waterfall approach where, you know, security comes in last. You know, security needs to be part of, you know, any project, you know, from the get-go. And I think you can really see, you know, companies or, you know, in the government sectors, you know, teams, offices that have changed that approach. And, you know, it was a win-win. You know, they were actually part of it. They were part of decision making and they delivered, a, you know, together a better outcome for uh, for the customer. And so one a couple other questions for you, Nico, if you could tell your customers one thing just in terms of their approach or how they're moving forward, especially those that are government focused about, um, you know, just 
cybersecurity innovation, you could say it without any repercussions, what would that be? <laughs> you have one wish, Nico. Yeah. Never back on you. <laughs> you know, no, I, I think, I think one, v, one wish was actually, would actually be for me teleportation, but that's, that's a different question, I think. Um, you know, I think one thing, you know, we should tell any customer, either in the government or in the commercial sector, is it's about every time you upgrade. You know, upgrade your nice. thinking. You know, upgrade not just the uh, to the latest release, but really, you know, upgrade to a new approach where you know security, as we just mentioned, is about you know business partnership, is about business enablement, is about measuring time to value. So, I mean, I, I mean, you know, the government quite often and you know is is stuck you know with very old on-prem old releases and so on, looking at solving you know point problems. You know, how do you leapfrog? You know, from that. So it's it's not just time to upgrade; it's actually time to leapfrog to something you know more recent, more agile. You know, I'm not going to say cloud enabled, you know, but, you know, that's the big thing. You know, it's time to upgrade and not just from a patch management point of view. It's interesting in the States, you know, FedRAMP, uh, CDM, the Modernization Act, a lot of them can be interpreted as focusing the government on on giving them the money, the funding to upgrade from away from the legacy equipment, the legacy hardware and software solutions they've been using. So it's interesting to hear that would be your one wish behind teleportation. Yeah, no, I, th- I think it's important, you know, you have the U.S. example, but, you know, having, you know, traveled the world, you know, uh, quite a lot this year, you know, I think it's actually true in most of in the, uh, you know, larger developed uh, countries where the government wants to push for this type of modernization. You're saying the go- you're seeing that the governments of the world do want to. Most of them, you know, the, the ones that are, you know, economically viable, that want to push the boundary, yes. You know, they realize that, you know, they need to also be an enabler there and, uh, you know, help with the transition uh, from, you know, this maybe legacy old way of thinking to this new one. You, you see that quite a lot, you know, across the board, you know, Western Europe, Asia Pac, it's pretty common nowadays. And are governments behind or ahead of commercial industry? Global. I think I, I think in general, you know, behind, you know, some of them are tracking closely. You know, some of them have, have like you know twenty twenty or twenty thirty plans to uh, you know to ramp up and catch up. But I think in general, you know, adoption, you know, with maybe a few exceptions, like a few very specific areas, you know, in general, they they you know they're behind. They're, they're catching up. They're like you know you, you, you I think you named you named FedRAMP. You know, I think governments is using you know quite often regulations and compliance to drive adoption. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, it's not the business problem. It's actually the uh, the regulation that drives the decision making more. OK. OK. Yeah, I know um, I've been to quite a few um, cybersecurity conferences, government cybersecurity conferences the past few months. And um, I, I think most of the uh, the CISOs and the CIOs at the agencies would definitely agree with you. It's time to it's time to upgrade. Um, it's usually here. It's 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 a resource issue, um, funding and, and just, you know, having all the right tools to move forward. But <laughs> I think they, they, everybody wants it. It's just, I guess, the practicality of, of doing it sometimes is the challenge. Eric, so. I love the fact that Nico led with upgrade, but upgrade your thinking. Yes. Yes. That doesn't yes. cost you a whole lot. That's true. That's free. <laughs> no, no. No, it's 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 free, but it takes a lot of energy, right? Yeah. I think it's that that's where you switch to, you know, influencing, convincing people, mm-hmm. you know, building your, you know, decision making network. I mean, it's a very different approach, you know, also internally. 
you know, in terms of, you know, you're not just here as a kind of a stage gate in terms of t technology decision making. Mm -hmm. You need to make that part of the overall business process, right? It's it's pretty significant, you know. It, it takes, I don't, I think it probably takes less resources from a technical point of view, but it takes many more fuel resources as a CISO partnering with the DPO, the CIO, and also, you know, part of the organization, CFO and HR and so on to, to make it happen. But a lot of times government can tend to also be risk adverse and their yeah. policies, their procedures, their laws, there's legacy, not just equipment, software, hardware, but there's a legacy mindset that really does make that upgrade your thinking difficult. Even when you're doing it, how do you get your whole team, your team of teams to think that way? Yes, I think you know you, you've seen that also in you know some industries in the commercial space that were you know very much um, you know driven this way you know and then you, something happens you know a big, big corporation you know acquires very small you know biotech company in Silicon Valley you know which was cloud only you know and you know sometimes it just needs a seed right and sometimes it, also the governments and I've seen it you know you know probably not so much in the US being a, a non-US citizen but you know in other countries that you know it just it sometimes takes a small seed. And then, you know, it grows from there, you know, and, and quite often, you know, some um, not just regulators, but, you know, um, things like, you know, BSI in Germany, uh, ANSI in France, you know, and similar organizations that, uh, you know, drive some of this, you know, different thinking. You know, it, they started this journey five, ten years ago, but they are seeing, you know, the things actually, you know, happen now. But it takes a long time, I agree. Government isn't acquiring small, nimble, quick-thinking startups, though. I mean, it really isn't part of the way they work. Where do they get that innovation from? Is it now coming from commercial industry? Is it coming from other governments? Is it coming from the, just out of need and necessity? What do you think? I, I think it's probably the, the, the first form or two you, you mentioned. I think you know, there's a lot of collaboration in between you know, the, the various governments. Uh, also, they, they're hiring young talents, you know, and those kids, you know, you know, coming out of school, you know, some of them, they want to work with the government and some governments, you know, make it very attractive. You know, you know, you know I'll take the example in France, you know, with NSI because I know them pretty well. You know, they've hired top talents. You know, they're actually even, you know, kind of um, – some who kind of poached, you know, talent away from the commercial side and put it into governments. And that's how they drive this innovation inside the government, you know, from inside by taking people from the from the commercial sector and, you know, young grads out of school that have a different mindset, you know, to, uh, to make that happen. But it takes time. I believe Israel is a similar example. You know, you have to do your military service. You do it. It's really built the, the cyber industry in Israel. Uh, but I think they still give back to the government. Exactly. It's, I think that there it's the uh, it's the opposite approach, right? You, know, you enter, you know, units, you know, eighty, you know, eighty to hundred, and then you exit and you do a security startup, right? In some countries, actually, the opposite, right? But I agree. And then they give back. Yeah, there's there's a lot of talent in terms of you know security startups in, in Tel Aviv and Israel in general for that reason. And I'm going to plug our next episode because um, I do see small shifts in government in terms of, um, you know, outreach or the U.S. government, I should say, um, outreach to startups, having industry days specifically um, targeted at, at startups to bring that innovation in. And then on our next podcast, we actually have um, the winners from a recent um, Department of Energy um, cyber competition where they bring in college teams, give them a, um, a cybersecurity scenario and allow them to work through it. And 
and they award a winner, a national winner. And so we actually have the um, the winner, um, the team captain of the winning team from um, University of uh, Central Florida on our next podcast. So I think efforts like that are, to your point, Nico, trying to get that younger talent interested, involved in cybersecurity, um, bring them in early, and then hopefully they want to um, you know, be a part of this, this new shift in mindset that we will need in order to um, really advance from a technology and innovation standpoint. Sounds great. Okay, so one last question. Um, so I heard Nico that you were a um, an amazing cook. So I <laughs> so I'm wondering, um, how do you compare cooking to cybersecurity? You know what what is it that you like about them both? But again, how would you how do how do they compare against each other for you? So first of all, I actually know who leaked that to you. It's Audra. I'm just going to pay for it. And uh, <laughs> you know, but actually, no, it's it's true. I mean, you know, I, I love to cook. I'm I'm a, I'm, I'm a foodie and. Uh, you know, quite often my friends tell me, like, you should actually quit the industry and open a restaurant. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I walk crazy hours at first point. I think we all do because we actually enjoy it very much. But I think the life of being a chef in a restaurant is even crazier. Mm, yeah. Right. So I think, you know, what, what actually cooking gives me is balance. You know, you actually are able to kind of shut down, focus on something else, because if you have your Japanese sushi knife, you know, chopping some stuff, you actually better, you know, you know, concentrate on what you're doing. You know, so to me, you know, cooking, I enjoy it a lot. It's actually one of my way to, uh, to balance between, you know, the, the walk, the crazy walk side and the crazy travel, you know, with, you know, being home and actually cooking something enjoyable for my, you know, family and friends to enjoy. Very interesting. I know you're interested. You want to invite. Well, huh? <laughs> well that was my next Waiting. thing. If we're ever in your part of the world, then would love to <laughs> to experience <laughs> one of your meals. So <laughs> I, I'll put you on the uh, on the list. Excellent, excellent. Well, you heard it here. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Nico. Um, this was uh, a very interesting conversation in terms of, you know, just the, the advancements, what's next um, in terms of innovation and cybersecurity. So thank you for joining us this week. We appreciate it. My pleasure. And I got so much more to say. So I'm pretty sure Eric and you are going to invite me again. Well, happy to have you. <laughs> Great. Well, and to all of our listeners out there, thank you again for joining us this week. Um, please be sure to subscribe to the uh, the podcast, to send us a review uh, and a comment. We love to hear from those of you who are out there listening. So until next week, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks, Nico. Thanks. Thanks for joining us on the To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast, brought to you by Forcepoint. For more information and show notes from today's episode, please visit www.forcepoint.com slash govpodcast. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or the Google Play Store 